This is an FOU Studios podcast. The Chris Hahn Show. The Chris Hahn Show. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. The truth is on the air. And truthfully, tonight, America, I'm back. I'm live. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of hockey games messing me up. I know I'm not normally on live on a Wednesday night, but I am live on a Wednesday night right now. And I'll be taking your calls all night at 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation tonight. America... So much to catch up on. It's been it's been about three weeks since I seen the last time I saw you was the uh, Wednesday night before election day. That was three weeks ago tonight. In that time, we've had Thanksgiving, we've had many hockey games bump us, and we've also had a national election in which the Democratic Party took control of the House in what can only be called a blue wave, a serious, serious blue wave. 40 seats in the House, a whopping 8.5% higher popular vote against Republicans. 8.5% is a record. That's better than the Democrats did after Watergate. To call it anything other than a blue wave, they took seven state houses. They broke four supermajorities of Republicans across Uh, this country and other state legislatures. They took over 350 state legislative seats. That's a third of what the Democrats lost in the Obama years. They did that in two years. They lost 1,000 seats over eight years of Obama. Democrats took a third of those back. So to call it anything but a blue wave is disingenuous. But as I have said to you before, and I will say to you again tonight, Anybody out there who's a candidate and feels that they are somehow responsible, good or bad, for this blue wave, they're wrong. Now, candidates do matter. I I will say that there are some races the Democrats could have won that had they had a better candidate, um, they might have won. There are some races Republicans could have won had they had a better candidate, but that's a very rare exception. We were, the Democratic Party was not picking up 40 seats in this blue wave uh, because of candidates. They were picking up 40 seats because of one person and one person only. And that person is Donald J. Trump president. Of course, as I am doing my, my Facebook live, I, uh, I, I, uh, I get my Twitter live mic. Of course I get a phone call. I forgot to disable my, my phone. So let me try to bring you guys back live here. I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to go live. Here we go. I'm now live. Sorry, guys. Uh, As always, I get a phone call on my phone while I'm doing my radio show. My friends forget that I have a radio show. And they probably, you know, they're not used to me being on a Wednesday night. I'm usually on a Thursday night. That's the whole thing. The New York Islanders decided that they want to play hockey. Every Thursday for some reason. Every Thursday. Wednesday was, you you know, national night. It used to be nice, right? We'd get like one week off a month because the Islanders would bump us and be like, oh, all right, a week off. Save my voice. Yeah, now it's every. Now it's like every week. The whole month of November. I have basically. to. I have to move to Wednesdays. But uh, well, you know, we're talking. Where were we? We're talking about Donald Trump. 
And we're talking about how this election was not about the candidates in most cases, but it was about the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump president. The people came out to vote for or against him and overwhelmingly by eight and a half percent nationally, they voted against him. Now, some of you out there saying, oh, Chris, you didn't take the Senate. The Democrats didn't take the Senate. Guys, the Democrats were defending 10 seats in states that the president won by double digits. With the exception of Florida, where he won by single digits, they lost Florida. But the Democrats only lost the net of, of two seats. They were defending 10 seats where, where uh, Republicans you know, had basically turned those states red. Rural states like Missouri. Uh, they lost Missouri. They lost Indiana, where the vice president is from. The only surprise to me and, and real major disappointment in the Senate was Florida. Uh, I thought maybe Claire McCaskill would hang on. Maybe Joe Donnelly would hang on. But, but Florida was a disappointment, a real disappointment. And I'm going to talk to Janet Johnson later about what, what the heck's going on in Florida. Now, I think Florida is going to be very different in the near future. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, Proposition 4 passed in Florida, allowing uh, former felons who have paid their debt to society to once again get their civil rights back so that they can vote, uh, I think that's great. And I think that's going to change the math in Florida considerably. I think it's going to be a net gain for Democrats. That's assuming you could get these people registered and voting in the next election. And it could really, I mean, Florida, uh, the Senate seat was, was won by, I don't know, 15,000 votes. We just, uh, they just gave 1.5 million people the right to vote who didn't have the right to vote in Florida before. So it's going to be a very interesting, uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, parties organize around those new voters. And if they're able to get those new voters out and voting, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to get people who've never voted before to vote. Uh, but there is a demand for those voting rights. There are a lot of people who were denied uh, those uh, voting rights by Governor Scott, who unfortunately was elected to the United States Senate uh, in a very, very close election against uh, against Bill Nelson. So, I mean, I, I think it's something to watch in Florida. So that was a disappointment. But the Democrats picked up Arizona and they picked up New Mexico and they are only they only lost two seats in what could have been a horrible year for them in the Senate. But when we talk about the House, 40 seats as of now it could be 41 seats by the time they d they're done counting all the votes in California. That's an amazing accomplishment. That's they, they, the Democrats haven't done that well in 40 years. Um, the eight and a half percentage points that the Democrats um, uh, had their advantage in actual votes cast in the House of Representatives is a milestone that is unmatched by any election. And it's far exceeded what most people thought the Democrats would do. Most people thought that Democrats would have a seven point advantage in the, in the general voter turnout nationwide for the House of Representatives, seven points, eight and a half percent. That's a point and a half better. In the big Tea Party wave of 2010, the Republicans had a, a advantage in the popular vote of only six and a half percent. Six and a half percent. This map is so gerrymandered. And by the way, these are maps that Republicans drew for the most part. The maps are so gerrymandered that even with an eight and a half percent lead, the Democrats only took 40 or maybe 41 seats. 
That's uh, kind of funny, kind of amazing. But look, America, I want to know what you think about what's going on in the world. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039. If you want to be part of the national conversation, you don't have to be in my radio territory. If you're listening to me on Twitter right now, 631-451-1039 on Twitter fans. Remember, I'm only going to be doing the first 20 minutes on Twitter. After that, you got to go to 103.9 FM if you're in New York, or you got to go to linewsradio.com to continue listening to the to the show. But of course, the podcast will be out tomorrow. Uh, you can hear the whole show uncut, and you'll be able to hear the music, and you'll be able to hear callers, which you can't hear on Twitter right now. I'm sorry. 631-451-1039 is the number if you want to be part of the national conversation. 631-451-1039. But of course... We got to talk about Trump and his reaction to the election. We've got to talk about the situation at the border. We've got to talk about Manafort and Mueller. Lots to talk about. We can't just sit around here celebrating the fact that democracy will not die in this country because the Democrats will now have a proper check, as the founders intended, on the president of the United States. We have to now talk about what's really going on now. It's been three weeks. I know... Had I been on on the Thursday after election, I would have spent the entire two hours talking about the election. I would have talked about how on election night, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to do a radio show. Uh, they, they'd asked me to, to be live on the air. I did a little TV during the day. And I did a little radio during the day, some national interviews around the country, did a few things here and there. But I didn't want to do any TV or anything at night. And then my daughter, who is a student at a local university uh, and is also in the journalism department, said, hey, uh, we're doing a live broadcast on campus and on YouTube. Uh, I told them that you do it. <laughs> so, Mike, at nine o'clock, I'm over at the university. I won't say which university. OK, uh, I'm over at the university and I'm on the air. And I don't know if you were paying attention on election night, Mike, but at nine o'clock, it looked like all was lost for the Democrats. (laughs) (laughs) And I was in a bad place. Uh Like Nate Silver basically had them not, basically gave the Republicans a 60% chance of retaining control of the House at nine o'clock. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Because things, you know, had started slow. They were losing in Indiana. Uh, They were losing in Florida. Uh, You know, the West Coast hasn't closed yet. Uh, Kristen Cinema, we weren't going to know for three weeks if she won in, in Arizona. So there I am with a bunch of like 19-year-old college kids doing a TV show. <laughs> and by the way, you want to talk about a huge staff of people in the studio. I mean, I, yeah. I do live TV all the time, America, mostly yeah. from my basement where it's just me and some guy on the phone telling uh-huh. me what to do. Uh, they must have had like 20 people behind the camera and in a control room, it, it, I mean, look. Well, it's it, all hands on. They're learning. It's you know? crazy. It was crazy. So I was like at my low point that night, which is why I didn't <laughs> want to do TV because I knew I, I almost felt like it was 2016 all over That's again, great. and the Democrats were going to lose everything. And I was like, all hope is lost. <laughs> we're going to be a totalitarian country by tomorrow. He's going to fire Mueller. He's going to, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, to the people who watched me on that show that I will not name, and I think they were listening to me tonight, uh, I apologize for my dour mood when I was on your thing. I was much happier. By the time I got into my car at about 9.45 to go home and back to my couch, the tide had turned. 
and it was very clear the Democrats were going to pick up at least 30 seats. And by the time I got home, 15 minutes after I got home, they called the Congress for the Democrats. They said, the Democrats will take control of the Congress. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sorry, students. Uh, you know, that's why you, know, you got to be, you got to take your passion out of it on election night. That's why I didn't want to do election night. I did it here a couple of times. I've done Fox on election night a couple of times. I don't know. I, I, I turned down a few things this year. I didn't want to do News 12. I didn't want to do anything. I want to just kind of sit on the couch. And my daughter pimped me out. And, and there I was. Uh, I, was on the, uh, I was on the air. Uh, she you know, legit pimped you out. I didn't, exactly. I didn't shave. Yeah. I kind of was looking like this. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, you'll see me on Channel 5 tonight if you're in New York uh, talking about the president's meeting with Governor Cuomo. I'm happy about that. Uh, I, look, I'm not one of those people that can't be transactional. I don't like Donald Trump, what he's doing at the border. I don't like all this, this monkey business with, with Mueller and Manafort. Maybe he's going to pardon Mueller. I don't like that at all. But I would like a new tunnel across the Hudson so that we could get trains in and out of, of New York City. I, I think that's kind of important. I think that Chris Christie made one of the most colossal mistakes uh, in the history of politics when he canceled the ARC tunnel, which was paid for by the feds eight years ago. Um, uh, I, I know why he did it. I got the math of his politics in doing that, and it was more about South Jersey versus North Jersey, but it was a regional problem that, that jeopardizes the, the, the economy in New York. And I bet you if Chris Christie had a chance to do it all over again, he would not make that decision. Uh, it was a very parochial decision, and not even a statewide parochial decision, a Southern Jersey decision. He'd rather put that money into roads, and he was only you know, going to pay for, I don't know, 10% of that tunnel. So it was, it was bad. 631-451-1039 is my number if you want to be part of the national conversation. 631-451-1039. I got Janet Johnson joining me a little later on the show. Uh, what can I say about my appearances? I, I will be on Laura Ingram on Monday. I will be on Tucker on Tuesday. Uh, I won't be on Piro again for about two weeks. I'm away uh, both this weekend and next weekend, so I'm going to be missing the shows, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I'll be back on Piro on the 14th or the 15th, sorry, uh, which is a Saturday uh, in a couple weeks, but do you catch me on Tucker? You catch me on Ingram. Follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn on Twitter uh, for all my appearances. I'm doing Martha McCallan's show. I'm doing Kennedy here and there. I'm uh, doing some other show on Fox Business tomorrow night. Six three one four five one one zero three nine is the number right here. Uh, if you want to be part of the national conversation uh, and talk about the issues now, I don't know, Mike. Start at the border. What do you think? I should start at the border. Start the border and come up north. Yeah, I think I'm going to start at the border. <laughs> Guys, we're the greatest country on earth. The greatest country that's ever existed in this planet. We do not have a crisis at our border. I don't care that uh, a couple hundred people tried to rush the border the other day. They're frustrated uh, and they shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to condone that behavior. If the president wants to help the border, you don't send troops there. You send an army of attorneys to process these immigration claims, these, these asylum claims, um, they're not all going to get asylum. I don't, I don't expect them all to get asylum, but some of them deserve asylum. And if they apply and they're approved, they should get asylum. We have not come up with a comprehensive immigration strategy in this country that acknowledges the market forces and other forces driving people here. And you're saying, Chris, market sources are not a reason to grant people asylum. Well, yes and no. Let me make two points here. First, our immigration policy does not acknowledge 
the market for these workers in America. Migrant workers coming up here to, uh, to work seasonally and then going home in most cases. So we have an underground economy that's exploiting some of these people uh, and it's cheating the tax code in this country and it should be addressed by Congress now. But we also have market forces that have led to unrest in Central America, which has led to a rise in these drug cartels, which are exerting severe pressure through fear on the people who join this caravan. Let me explain to you, America. You are not picking yourself up and walking, starting at least walking, 1,500, 3,000 miles to the United States of America through, through, through other countries unless you are deathly afraid for your life. This is a humanitarian crisis. It is not an existential threat to the United States of America. It is not an invasion These people are not coming here to take your jobs. There's 330 million people in this country. We can handle a couple thousand more. And and frankly, we knew they were coming. We should have been prepared. The president, instead of sending troops, by the way, to southwest Texas, not to California where they're actually coming in, but to southwest Texas, he should have sent an army of administrative law judges and JAG attorneys from the Army or, or the Navy to go down there and, and process these claims. Send an army of accountants, will you, to make sure that we properly address the demand. That's good management. Instead, the president has decided to demagogue against these people. He's tried to make this an issue of us versus them, which, by the way, tyrants do. They always want you to hate someone, to ignore all the problems that they themselves have failed to address, by the way. GM cutting jobs, the economy not really, the tax cut not really affecting the people who voted for him. No, but what he wants to say is, I'm going to protect you from them. From them. Let me tell you something. We were all, we all used to be them. Every single one of us in this country, unless you're a Native American, at one point was a them to somebody else. We got to keep them out. They used to say it about the Irish, the Italian, the Asians. No, we, we want them here because that's what refreshes our economy, brings people in who want to work hard, who want to innovate, who want to pull themselves up, who want to achieve the American dream, America. When they stop wanting to come here, that's when you should be afraid. You should not be afraid of them wanting to come here now. It's a beautiful thing that they want to be part of what we have. And for the president and other conservatives, other people on the right to fear monger about these people. And I've been on TV a lot about this, guys. You know it. I've been very consistent. It's fear mongering. It's hate. It's division. It's not worthy of our national discourse. It's not something we should tolerate as Americans. We have a proud tradition in this country of welcoming welcoming immigrants. We have a broken immigration system that does not acknowledge the demand for entry, that does not send resources to where they are most needed, that makes the process overly burdensome 
in a way it doesn't need to be. I'm not saying let criminals in. I'm not saying that drug dealers should be allowed in. But there are a lot of people in that caravan who are legitimately afraid for their lives and who are really just coming here for a better life. The same reason my grandparents came here, the same reason your grandparents came here, the same reason the pilgrims got on a boat where they, which they thought would sail them over the edge of the earth, some of them, risked their lives crossing an ocean in the dark for a better life, for freedom. All right, guys, I'm live tonight. You don't have to agree with me if you want to get out on the action. 631-451-1039 is my number. You're listening to The Chris Hyde Show. Keep it where it is. I'll be right back. The Chris Hahn Show. All right, I'm back. I'm live. I'll be taking your calls. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation talking about immigration. A little bit later on, I've got Janet Johnson joining me. Been a while. I've been off the air. I miss Janet. I only talked to her when I'm on TV or radio, so I thought I'd give her a call. See what you wanted to do. Uh, 631-451-1039. Don't forget to catch me on uh, TV on uh, Monday and Tuesday on Fox News. But, of course, always follow me on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn, for all of my appearances. 631-451-1039. I'm live tonight. I know it's been a while, but I'm live tonight on a Wednesday, 631-451-1039. I'm going to go to the phones right away, and I'm going to go to Chris on the East End. He's been holding on a while. Chris, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? No doubt. Um, I just want to say first, I'm a big fan. You're my favorite punching bag. Hey, yo, uh, hey, <laughs> yo. Hey, I'm a punching I, bag I that punches that. back. I, every time I see you on TV, man, I feel bad. I do. I appreciate, I appreciate what you do. I really love listening to you. Um, but I got to say, you and I have different perceptions on things. But first, I just want to qualify myself for you and then, and then ask you a question. Um, now, I am in the landscape industry and nursery industry out okay. on the east end of the island. All right. And, uh, um, I've been working with, um, mostly Guatemalan for pretty much all my professional career. Right. Um, and my thing is, yes, without some of the labor that comes up from that region, my industry would certainly fall apart. A lot of industries. And a lot of industries that, yeah, I'm just focusing on my, right, right, right. Now, you know, and, um, you know, I can honestly say nobody works harder than these gentlemen. I mean, they're, they're, all they're trying to do, Chris, and, and, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is they're trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. Like, what is white? Don't, like, I, I don't know where your family's from, but my family, my, I'm, I'm half Italian and I'm half German. And when my grandfather on the Italian side came here, they called him a WAP, you know, because he was without papers. That's where that comes from. A Dago because he works as a day laborer. That, you know, that, you know, these are the same things we're accusing these people of a hundred years later. Right. So why are we, 
Why are they any different than our families that wanted a better life for their families? Understood. I one of the one of my problems with my gentlemen that I work with that I love is that some of them have been here for over a decade and can't speak a word of English. Well, maybe they can. They just don't want you to know it. Mm, no, like I said, I, I've known these guys for a very long time, and they just don't have, I don't know, the ambition. You know, they just want to work. I mean, they work seven days a week. So I had a great-grandmother you know? who came over on the boat, Grandma Filipazzo, who uh, was in the country for 50 years and did not speak a word of English on the day she died. And, and you know, no it's, it's, always the sec- it's always the first generation that is a kid that's brought here that, you know, assimilates and becomes that next generation of Americans. I, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like if these guys who work with you, these Guatemalans who work for you, if they have kids, and let's say those kids are five or six years old, they'd be very, you'd find very little differences between their kids and your kids. And, and that's what people, you know, miss here. Oh, they're not assimilating. Yeah, I mean, your grandparents probably didn't assimilate either. My grandparents yeah. on my father's side did. Uh, on my mother's side, uh, it was my great grandparents that came over. Um, but it, it's it's a it, it's a different, uh, you know, it's it's different, and it takes time. Well, you understand, you understand. I know the burden that it's going to put on taxpayers to bring these people up to a place where they can be, you know, citizens of America and, you know, be profitable, but they need to, well, they don't, I mean, Chris, Chris, you're the one, you made the argument for me, man. You've never met anybody more hardworking than these guys. So why is it that you think that the society that the rest of us have to pay for them? They're, they're paying their own way. They're working, they're breaking their backs, doing, doing hard work on every single day. And it's it's uh, it's impressive in most cases. So the the argument yeah. that they're going to come here and, and be dregs on society is just not not accurate. What we have to do is we've got to take them out of the shadows so that they are well, properly see, participating in our economy. I think that the main like I don't appreciate how Donald Trump being in office for two years handling the things that he's handled in the two years. Now, there's been a president before him, Mr. Barack Obama, who was in office for eight years and did nothing about this. Should I, he now, should have passed Donald comprehensive Trump, immigration reform in the first two years. The Senate, the, the House of Representatives under John Boehner should have taken up the bill that the bipartisan bill that passed the Senate when Obama was president. He would have signed it and it would have helped a lot, but he didn't take it up because Look, look why we have Donald Trump. I think it's mostly because of racism. Chris, thanks for your call. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451 if you want to be part of the national conversation. 631-451-1039. You know, the President of the United States just wants to demagogue on the issue. He knows. He's been in construction his whole life. He knows how hard these people work. He's had, I'm sure... In his career, many undocumented immigrants work for his companies over the years. Let's be honest. And I think if we have a real thorough review of his employment records, of people who worked for him over the years, I think we'll find that out. And, and this nonsense about the wall, can I talk to you about the wall for a minute? I don't know if you saw me on uh, the Kennedy show last night. I was on, uh, on Kennedy on, on Fox Business. 
I like doing Kennedy's show. Kennedy's a friend of mine, former VJ from the 90s. Uh, you know, I used to be a fan of hers when I was in college. Um, um, uh, she, she's fantastic. She's a libertarian, and there's sometimes I agree with her, and sometimes I don't. On the wall, I agree with her. I mean, the president could have his wall when he gets Mexico to pay for it. I'm okay with a free wall. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a public works project as far as I'm concerned. It's going to employ a lot of people. If the Americans don't have to pay for it, because it's stupid, we don't need it, right? We don't need the wall. But if the president does what he said he was going to do, I went to a Trump rally, America. I went to one in Albany, New York in 2016. I was up there for something else. I was staying in a hotel a block away from the arena, and I walked over, and I saw that rally, and it was scary as hell. And I didn't stay long, but I stayed long enough to hear the president say, we're going to build that wall. We're going to build that wall, America, and who's going to pay for it? Everybody yells out, Mexico. Well, how did negotiations with Mexico go? I mean, I haven't heard anything from the White House about negotiations with Mexico. And I think every time the president talks about the wall, we should be asking about his negotiations with Mexico about paying for the wall. Not Congress appropriating money for the wall, but Mexico appropriating money for the wall. Just like we send foreign aid to other countries, instead of us, you know, him asking Congress for $10 billion or $5 billion to start the wall, get the five bill from Mexico. You're such a great deal maker, Mr. President. Make a deal. Tell me how I'm going to get that money from Mexico. And don't tell me you're going to tax products coming to the United States of America from Mexico, so I have to pay more for them. No, tell me how you're going to get Mexico, not Americans through taxes, but Mexico to pay for the wall. Because that was part of the whole promise, right? And, and everybody keeps saying, you know, Ann Coulter and others say, if the president doesn't build the wall, he won't get reelected. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I hope it's true because he's not going to build the wall. Okay, let's let's be clear. Couldn't even build the wall now if he wanted to. It's two years. His election's less than two years away. But again, the promise wasn't just to build a wall, Ann Coulter, or or any right wing pundit out there or a right wing politician. The promise wasn't to build a wall. The promise was to build a wall that Mexico would pay for. Not Americans, not Congress, not corporation. We're not building it on it. I never heard him say we're going to build it on COD. Once we build it, the Mexicans will pay. I never heard him say that. I heard him say how easy it would be for him to get Mexico to pay for that wall. That he was going to go down to Mexico and tell the Mexican president, look, you want our help? You better build that wall. Uh, I'm waiting. Mexico just elected a really hardline government that uh, is hardline against the United States. I mean, the president said he had a deal on the migrants. And uh, they say, no, you don't. So what is it, Mr. President? What's the deal? You want your wall? There is a, a place you can get funding for it, and it is not the United States Congress. Every time he says it, Ask, 
What about Mexico paying for it? Asked Sarah, said, all you guys out there in the media, and I know a lot of you listen to this show. If you are in, in the enviable position to ask the president a question about the wall, ask him about Mexico paying for the wall. Who? Ask him, who is negotiating with Mexico and how is the how are those negotiations going? Here's the answer. No one's negotiating with Mexico about the wall, and the negotiations are going nowhere because nobody's doing it. It's not Jared Kushner's job. The Secretary of State's not doing it. I haven't seen Mike Pompeo go down to Mexico to negotiate about the wall. Or uh, what's her name? Kristen Nielsen, the soon-to-be ex-Secretary of Homeland Security. So if the president wants to build that wall, which, you know, they still chant at his rallies, build that wall, build that wall. How about chanting Mexico, Mexico? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. 631-451-1039 is my number. I'm live. 631-451-1039. If you want to be part of the national conversation, pick up the phone and give me a call. 631-451-1039. I got Janet Johnson joining me at the top of the hour. My good buddy, Janet, I uh, haven't had her on in a while because I haven't been on in a while. So uh, Janet is always my go-to guest. Uh, so I got Janet Johnson joining me in a, in a minute. I got Janet Johnson joining me uh, at uh, top of the hour. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. We're talking about this man. We're talking about the President of the United States. Immigration at the border. Building a wall. Who's going to pay for that wall? Why should I pay for a wall that is a nonsense wall? A wall I don't want. But I'm all for a free wall. Mexico pays that ball for that wall. I'll, uh, I'll love it. Anyway, 631-451-1039. Let me go to Alex in Hampton Bays. We're on, a, we're on fire in the East End tonight. Alex, you're on the air. Hey, how are you, Chris? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for calling. Uh, What's on your mind? I, yeah, I mean, you know, he made a lot of campaign promises and he's kept to most of them, you know, like, I don't understand how, how you can, can knock him for this. I'm not knocking him for it. I'm just saying he keeps asking for funding for the wall, Alex, but I remember the campaign promise to being, we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Now I don't want a wall, but I'll take a free wall. Who wouldn't take a free wall? I mean, it's a public works project. It's going to put a couple thousand people to work. If we can get it for I free. Completely under, I, com- I, completely understand, I completely understand what you're saying, but it, it, we negotiated a trade deal with them, right? Alex, have you been to a Trump rally? No. I have. I'm sure you watched him on TV. Okay. Yeah, I went to a Trump rally and the president would say at the Trump rallies in 2016, we're going to build that wall. And then he would ask the crowd and who's going to pay for it. And they would shout out Mexico because that was his promise that he was going to build a wall. He said it was going to be so easy. And we negotiated a trade deal with Mexico that does not include any funding for the wall. So why negotiate a trade deal? We already they already have a deal. What is their incentive? How How did we? How did we get $150 billion to pay Iran? That was, the, that was we their... We didn't, billion dollars hey, to hey Alex, Alex, pay attention, okay? It wasn't our money. It was okay. Iran's money that was held in abeyance. You know, this guy, how did we get the money to pay for... So what? it was their money. We had that money because of, of our embargo with them. It was their assets that we froze. We just unfroze it. 
631-451-1039. I got another guy calling from East End. Jack and East Quag, how you doing? Yeah, how you doing there, Mickey Licker? What? <laughs> Mickey Licker? Yeah, I don't know how you can pay for the wall. I'm going to tell you right now. You just tax some of the money that they're sending out of this damn country. Which money we're sending out of the money out of the country? All the money that they're collecting here, besides all the money that we got to pay to take care of them. We don't pay to take care of them, Jack. Six three one four five one one zero three nine. Did he? What did he call me, Mike? Mickey Licker? I don't know. I, I, I dropped it. I'm gonna have to listen to that <laughs> later on. Oh, yeah. you dropped it, so it won't be in my replay. All right. Oh, it'll be in the replay? Yeah, because yeah, it's still in the replay. Yeah, I gotta find out what that guy said. I don't know what he was uh I don't know what he was getting at. I know how we could pay for all the money that was said. Guys, Jack, everybody out there. The president of the United States said that quote, Mexico would pay for the wall. Not like citizens sending money abroad, not Mexicans who happen to be here sending money abroad, or by the way. A lot of people aren't from Mexico. Some of them are from Guatemala, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Costa Rica, South America. You know, they're sending money out too. A lot of people from all over the world who come here and send money home. So, okay. Uh, and also, how would you track that, Jack? But the president had a plan. He had a plan, America. The plan was he was going to build a wall. And Mexico was going to pay to build that wall. And like I said, who wouldn't want a free wall? I mean, I think it's stupid, completely stupid. The dumbest idea ever because, you know, people don't really come here that way. The wall's not going to stop anybody who really wants to get here. Uh, They come in from plane. Most people who are here illegally just have overstayed their visas. And they just stayed. They came in legally and they stayed. Um, but building a wall is not going to stop them, but I'll take a free wall. Uh, look, if it makes you happy and you could get Mexico to pay for it, build away, build a nice, beautiful wall at the Southern border. That's going to piss people off because it's going to ruin their view and it's going to rust or whatever else. And 20 years from now, we're going to have to tear it down anyway. But if Mexico is going to pay for it, build the great wall of Trump. But if Mexico's not going to pay for it, I don't want to pay for it. And I was promised by the now president of the United States when he was running for president that we wouldn't have to pay for it, that Mexico was going to pay for it. Now we've lost that in the debate. I don't know why we don't bring it up every single time, every single time. It should be in every conversation about that stupid wall. Well, what happened to Mexico paying for the wall? What happened to it? Every single time we talk about the wall, because we don't need the wall, America. All the wall is going to do is make people get ropes and ladders to climb it or tunnel under it, or I don't know, maybe they'll come over on a bus legally and stay. Or maybe they'll fly in and stay. Building the wall. It's not something that we really need. You made a promise. Your promise was you were going to build a wall and Mexico was going to 
pay for it. Anyway, I got time for one more call, Mike, you think? Real quick. 631-451-1039. Let me go to John in East Mariches. John, quickly, I'm up against the break. Yeah, I'm actually talking about the uh, North Northport VA. The Northport VA? What about it? Yeah, the, that they, they shut they shut down the uh, the, the the shelter there. John, and I hate I I, I hate I hate what's going on at the VAs around the country, but I don't talk about local politics. I try to talk about national politics. Okay. And what I'll tell you this though, okay, I'll tell you this: we've got to do a better job at our VAs. These men and women who put I'm on the uniform. A that work that works for the VA. Yeah. I mean, and we, I actually have a case in federal court with them right now. Well, John, God bless you. I, you know, I hope if it's a valid complaint that, that you win. And I, I, I think that the VAs have been mismanaged. It's not just a Trump thing. I think that we need more choice for veterans health care. I think that, uh, I think that, uh, the VAs need to be, uh, palaces, because these people put their lives on the line. We can't have them come home and have a hard time getting medical care. So, John, I'm with you on that. Just one thing. It's, it's a no-show. It's a no show, They're no-show bids. That, that, that's well, that's the problem here. John, thanks for your call. 631-451-1039. But I'm up against a break. Uh, you know, and, and it, it, it's a different topic. I, I, I was talking about the wall. But, uh, look, I'm with them. I, I think the VAs need to be palaces, and they're not. And uh, the buck stops at you, Mr. President. If you really love the vets, that's a place you could do some work. All right. Janet Johnson joins me on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Chris Hodge Show. I will be right back. Conservatives, listen up. The truth is on the air. The Chris Hahn Show. All right, I love this song. I always want to let it play. 631-451-1039 is my number, but I'm not taking your calls until the bottom of the hour. Right now, I'm going to pick up on my good friend, Janet Johnson at Jay Johnson Law. You see her on HLN every Saturday morning. She's a good friend of mine. Janet, how you doing? I'm feeling pretty good, Chris. We got, we got the blue wave. I think it's official. We got the blue wave. We got it. I mean, I think it was as blue a wave as you could possibly have. I mean, I wish it would have been a little bluer in Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just no, a little yeah, bit. Know, the be- yeah, we kind of set that tone. I, James Carville, you know, in the beginning of that night. I haven't talked to you since the last. I know. I haven't been on the air. Crazy. I, I, it's well, been a good. weird couple of weeks. Like, yeah. So the Islanders hockey team, which is my favorite hockey team, and I watch a lot of their games. <laughs> uh, the station carries them, and uh, they have been on on Thursday nights when I do my show. That's why I'm on tonight on Wednesday or tomorrow night. Uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, the station's like, "Hey, look, the Islanders are going to be on a lot of Thursday nights. Why don't we put you on Wednesday nights for a couple of weeks?" And I just couldn't move my schedule around quick enough. But now I have the whole list of Islander games. I'm doing a lot of Wednesday nights the next three months. Well, uh, so uh, so it, it's, it's been good. But, yeah, I haven't been on since election yeah. night. So, you know, the beginning of the night, because Florida is early in the, in the evening, you start to see these returns. James Carville saying, this is not going to be a blue wave. This is terrible. I, Ter- you know, I told the story said, earlier, Janet. I wasn't going to do any media on election night. I did a couple of radio things during the day. I did a little TV during the day, local stuff. 
But I, I said, I'm not going to do election night. I, I, I was, you know, the radio station wanted me to anchor election night. I was like, I just, I just want to stay home in my pajamas <laughs> and see what happens because I don't want to be on TV if the Democrats lose. Because we did this right, years. Yeah. Ago. I was like, yeah. I just don't want, I'm like too worked up. So my daughter, who is a student at a university, uh, and as a journalism student, and it's part of the whole TV production and you know whole thing, she pimps me out and says, uh, you know, uh. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go do 15 minutes at the top of nine o'clock on on, <laughs> on my on my show I'm producing. And I was like, how am I going to say no to my daughter? I can't say no to my daughter. So It's a radio show? So it's a TV show. Pajamas? It was a oh, TV no, show, no like pajamas. a university TV show. Yeah. It was on YouTube. And it was at 9 o'clock. I was on from 9 to 9.20. And at 8.55, I couldn't have been more depressed, <laughs> right? Because it was clear we were going to lose Florida. It was clear yeah. we lost Indiana. Um Claire McCaskill all day I'd been hearing that was gone. Yeah. And then yeah. the early results were looking bad. And I had I had seen the James Carville interview or was that awful? It was it way? was like horrible. horrible. And I walk into the studio like I am going to a funeral. And <laughs> and I was just out of it. And there's these chipper young people interviewing me on set. And I was just like, the world is about to end. <laughs> Mueller's going to be fired by Friday. It's horrible. There's no blue wave where it's over. Now, at 930, when I got in my car to go home, that was all changed. <laughs> so, <laughs> but too late for those children who now never vote. I, I must have scarred them for life. Because right. you know how I can be when I'm on TV. I'm very energetic. I'm very convincing. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, and now it's the largest. The largest vote total, 60 million votes for Democrats. The last record was 45 million for the Republicans in 2010. So 15 million more votes than the Republicans got in 2010. And 8.5% versus their 6.5% margin of victory. That's crazy. Well, and people who, you know, I don't know about you, but I give to that act blue. And, you know, if I see an interview with, like, Carolyn Murphy or, or someone who says something awful, I immediately was looking up who her or his opponent was and giving to them. And then I'd get emails for these people. You know, T.J. Cox emails me all the time. Well, he pulled out a win today. Nice. And Orange County is, you know, there isn't a Republican left in Orange County, which for our lifetime we were told Democrats will never get Orange County in Florida. That's just never going to happen. It's a Republican stronghold. That's where we're never going to you know, be able to make inroads. The House, we were never supposed to make inroads because of gerrymandering, right. gerrymandering as you would say. We won, um, we won these victories with the Republicans' map. Right, and with people who... Sharice Davids, uh, you know, lesbian MMA fighter yeah. in Kansas. The governor of Kansas is now a Democrat. I mean, amazing, crazy, great. Seven exciting. state houses. Yeah. And by the way, for those of you out there that think things are going to be better two years from now for Republicans, you're out of your freaking minds. No, that's the they're going to be worse because that's this guy is going to be on the right. ballot, and all this energy that came out to oppose him, it's going to be amplified even more. There'll be more Democrats voting in 2020, right. not less, because it's a presidential. Yeah, right? I, I would He'll say this: the Republicans got just about the exact same amount of votes they got for well, maybe not the exact same amount of votes, but they got very close to what they got right. Right. in in, uh, in in 2016. And they're not going to go. They're not going to get better than 2016. Well, his approval is not going to be above 39 or 40 percent. And I think you know this week 
it, what is this, Wednesday? It's been devastating for him. Yeah. I mean, this Manafort news, which I think people are trying to say this is bad for Mueller, this is very bad for Donald Trump. Oh, it's horrible. Horrible because for Donald Because he's now going to have to pardon this guy because he probably yeah, made some I, deal I with him. I think his lawyers, I mean, Rudy Giuliani may end up in prison. I mean, as a lawyer, you cannot... You know, this is not a cooperation agreement. Right. So the conversations that they, that they had, his lawyers and Manafort or Manafort's lawyers, those are not privileged communication because there was no cooperation right. agreement. Right. So anything that was communicated, you know, obviously Mueller knows about these things. I mean, how do you think we know about that? That's them? why Mueller, you know, everybody's like, why did Mueller tear up the agreement? He said he was lying. It wasn't just because he was lying. Because these, you know, you've worked with prosecutors before. They, they, they catch you in a lie. They'll give you a chance to correct your lie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? They, 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 broke, they ripped the agreement up because the guy was double dealing. He was double dealing. And I think two things. I think both sides, the lawyers are going to have to recuse themselves or get out of the cases yeah. because they are now going to need lawyers. Yeah. Giuliani's going to be a witness. Right. At best. And by the way, Mr. President, if you think Julie Jan- Rudy Giuliani's going down with your ship, you are out of your mind. That is not going to happen. Right. That right, man will exactly. flip on you very quickly. Exactly. Very quickly. Yeah. You yeah. know, he, he, will be, he will be flipping on you faster than Simone Bowles can do a triple axle or whatever <laughs> she does. So, <laughs> I think that's, that's You think Simone Bowles has got flips? You wait till you see Rudy Giuliani. He's going to look yeah. like he should be on the gymnastics team in 2022. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, he's not loyal to his wives. You know, right. Why do you, why do you think he wasn't even loyal to his cousin. Who was his wife? Right. Right. So, I mean, that's really bad for him, I think. And, uh, you know, obviously he knows it's really bad because his tweets are unhinged. You know, it's getting worse and worse. The President of the United States tweeting out pictures of, you know, presidents, secretaries of state behind bars, you know, suggesting that people should be imprisoned who have not committed any crime. Right. Uh, You know, it's hard to imagine. I mean, you and I were talking, you know, off air about promises kept, I, has there been a less accomplished president with uh, with more you know controversy? He promised a middle class tax cut. I, I don't think we got one. Not only did we get one, but the people who might have gotten a hundred dollars, you know, whatever the the nominal amount was. I mean, if you're in Michigan, in Ohio, where GM is closing plants, right. you know, they might. There are some profiles of people saying, oh, "We blame GM. We don't blame the president." I don't care. It happened on his watch. Yeah. You know, yeah. whatever you want to call it. it oh, and by the way, and by the way, you know, the president should be calling GM and thanking them that they didn't do this three weeks ago. Well, right. That's well, although I mean, I guess would it have been worse? I guess I don't know how much worse it would have been. You know, in Michigan, they passed. Um, they actually had on the ballot an increase in paid leave and in minimum wage, and then the Republican legislature passed it, and then today announced. So they took it off the ballot. It didn't end up being on the ballot. Today they announced they're going to roll back yeah. the minimum wage. I mean, if you're a working-class person, how do you ever, you know, you and I are, are lawyers. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be fine. Right. But if you work on an assembly line in Ohio, if you're a farmer, if you're a soybean farmer, and 96% of your market has been wiped out because China buys all of our soybeans, how do you vote for this guy? What do you? What are you looking for that he's offering you? 
Right. I, I don't understand it. And by the way, I'm tired of seeing the profiles of these people too. I really am. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I, I mean, why don't we just say I'm dumb and I don't understand the way the world works. And I think this, this spoiled brat billionaire whose right. daddy gave him $450 million relates right. to you. He doesn't. And if he saw you walking down the street, he would cross to the other side. Well, I mean, the New York Times has been the worst offender of that, you know, including the same sex, you know, the, the two male couples. Oh, my least. God. I saw that story the other day. I wanted <laughs> that was to like throw the worst up. Story ever. But, you know, and on top of it all, what's amazing is, like, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things that happen since I talked to you. Gassing children. Is that on our top five? Yeah, I mean, it's not even on our top five. He, he, he used tear gas on, on, on children. And then, you know, then one of his supporters said, it's just like putting pepper on your nachos. What? Well, let's have them. You know, I mean, I'd like to line up some of the Trump children then and yeah. see what it, how that how they like it. I mean, he's saying this isn't really bad tear gas, which is it, you know, first of all, it's banned right. in battlefields. So right. somebody thought it was really bad. I'm. I think you know, I've saw some ethics lawyers saying this may not be actually criminal. I'm not sure that it's not. I, it was into Mexico. I don't see how it's not. It's certainly. Well, I, I mean, violence. he shot it across a foreign border. It could be considered an act of war. It, hey, wait, it, let me plug you. Uh, guys, I'm talking to <laughs> Janet Johnson. Uh, she's fantastic. She's on the show. By the way, you've had as many conversations with Janet Johnson as I have. Maybe I've got like five <laughs> minutes on either end. Janet and I are really good friends, but we really only know each other in media. <laughs> it sucks. You know, I tried. I, I know. I've you. tried. I've tried. You've been in New York. It's like every time you're in New York, I'm like at a soccer tournament or just, it's not happening. And I'm going to see Springsteen on Broadway or Hamilton and you're not. Uh, I, I know, I know, I know. I got a soccer tournament this weekend, but uh, Janet, oh you can see God. her on HLN uh, uh, every Saturday morning yeah. uh, and uh, it repeats and you can follow her on Twitter at Jay Johnson Law. And of course you can listen to her on the Chris Hahn show because she, I have her on at least once a month because I love her. So uh, it's well, the only time I talk to her. Kindred. Yeah. Yeah. You are, I call you my political soul sister. Well, so. I'm sure you're, you're not planning a trip to Florida anytime soon. So, I mean, that's the, that well, is. Well, not crazy. your part of Florida. You're like up in oh. central Florida. When I go to Florida, I go to like Orlando. But I have to say Duval County, where I live, we we delivered for the Democrats. We actually did, you know, I think it was more than 50%. I think we actually delivered for Gillum and Nelson. You know, do that, you, do I can't you even think, think that, that this Prop 4 that passed in Florida that gives former mm-hmm. felons yeah. who've paid their debt to society, yeah. what kind of impact do you think that's going to I mean, Florida's a state, I mean, what did, what did Nelson lose by 10,000 votes? Right, well, 15 maybe in the end, but yeah, the and... Forty percent of African American men in Florida are disenfranchised by That's amazing. The, the, right, so it's one and a half million voters. Even if if we don't register all of those voters, it certainly would have been enough to make the difference. You know, not a hundred percent of those people would have voted Democrat, but. I don't know. 75%. I mean, I think that like, you know, like these guys like Tom Steyer and all these mm-hmm. other millionaires trying to make a name for themselves, they really want to make a difference. They need to, you know, put that money and that effort into getting, you know, these former felons registered and right. out to vote cuz that well, we're doing it. That and would change gonna, by the way, that would right. change America. Well, I mean, we're going to do it. I mean, that's I'm a, a defense attorney. I have access to those people. They're in my office every day. Right. We're doing it. I mean, that it's going to happen. And you know, part of the the reason that it was at risk is obviously Governor DeSantis has no interest in doing it. I mean, the Republicans that were reelected aren't going to do it, but we're going to make sure that, that it gets done. I mean, I talked to clients 
all the time about voting. You know, I was on the phone and driving people, and, you know, we're going to get those people out there. And even if we get a fraction of those people, you know, Bush v. Gore, Florida, it's a red state, but it still is a purple state. I yeah. still think we can deliver. you got to get redistricting reform in, in Florida, too, so that these guys can't cut these districts up crazy. Because redistricting reform always passes when it's on a ballot. When it's a ballot, it's yeah. like because because independents are like ninety percent in favor of it. Democrats are always in favor, and Republicans will vote against it. But who cares? There's not enough of them. So well, it's, right. But it, I mean, when you look at Nelson, I mean, that's what was a little disheartening. That's you know, statewide election. Yeah. Why? Why would you vote? We've lived under two terms of Rick Scott. It's been abysmal. It's been terrible. And Bill Nelson's you know, great. He's not. I think in this election, what he wasn't, you know, was exciting. And I don't think Rick Scott is exciting, but there is that. No, I think I think the problem with Rick Nelson is he seemed a little loopy. I, I mean, he's. I don't think he wanted to run, quite yeah. frankly. And they have to keep, they thought he's the only chance we have to hold that seat. Um, and, you know, he, he didn't, he certainly doesn't stir up any excitement. You know, I, I held events for him, went to events with him, um, you know, we we do have to cultivate. I mean, Gillum though was exciting and still couldn't. We we couldn't get him elected. So Florida is the problem nationally. But you know, there's overall, it seems to be I, a solution in place in Florida. And yes, first of all, there will be. Let's just hope. You know, I don't like to wish bad on people. I like to wish people good <laughs> luck. Let's but. hope that uh, Governor uh, Trump Jr. Uh, <laughs> you know falls flat on his face every chance he gets. You know. Yeah, I mean it. It's. What's concerning is, you know, every time there's a hurricane, Rick Scott was, you know, on TV. I mean, it's scary living here during hurricanes yeah. and knowing that the last hurricane where we were we were told to evacuate, and I had to end up staying at our house because it was so mismanaged that no one knew where to go. The whole state was driving around like a, you know, like clown car. Yeah, because because the, the, the weather kept changing. First, it was going to hit Miami, right. then it hit right. the other right. side. It was crazy. Right, and Rick Scott kept getting on TV saying, everybody get out of your house. So people were making reservations. You weren't using them. Right. It was, you know, and, and he would, knew that this is his moment in the, in the spotlight. But, you know, he was responsible for deaths. I mean, he personally yeah. had messages on his cell I phone. I honestly think that if that hurricane hadn't hit, he might have lost that Senate race. Because even even yeah. though, he, you know, we could, we could in, in hindsight say, well, this could have gone better, that could have gone yeah. better. When you look like a leader on TV— People think yeah. you're a leader, but Gillum, you know, was in Gillum's neck of the woods, and he handled it very well. I mean, Gillum couldn't have ran a better campaign. He ran a great campaign. He ran a great campaign. The only thing I might nitpick was Chris King, who, who was his um, running mate, was for me not a great pick. I think Gwen Graham would have been better. I think right. there were other people should have picked have been the Latina. Better. Well, which is what DeSantis did, right. and sort of moderate, yeah. So Florida is is the one problem, but thank God at the House is now Democratic. There is a Nancy check and yes. a balance, yes. and we will have yes. a constitutional republic for at least Nancy two more Pelosi years. And we have back. Yes. He's going to be standing behind him holding a big gavel. I, I, I was on TV last night. And um, I was on with this guy, Tom Shalhoub, who's a comedian, and he was talking about how uh, Nancy Pelosi takes no prisoners. She, she sweeps yeah. the leg, yeah. right, is what he said. And I jumped in. I yeah. go, yeah, and you know whose leg she's going to be sweeping? Yeah. Donald Trump's. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> they don't hate her for no reason. No, and they hate her. They hate her for the right reasons. They hate right. her because she's effective. She's effective. Exactly. You know, I'm and that's, that's what I keep thrilled. saying. I go, I'm like, we're going to let them. Look, 
I think in 2010, when the Democrats lost the House of Representatives, they should have come up with new leadership. They didn't. So yeah. now it's eight years later. She has led them out of the wilderness. Yeah. It, it's yeah. time for, she gets to be leader again. I'm sorry. That's what happens. You know, I, I don't care that there's a couple of people out there uh, that, you know, that, that, that went against her two years ago and failed, and now they've got nothing to lose, so they're going against her again. And there but are a couple of people. people. Yeah, fewer people. Fewer people against her now. So, I mean, the, the, you know, that good, good job, you, you know, Seth Moulton and, and his ilk, who basically cut her, you know, opposition in half. You know, I, I think a lot of it is the sort of Hillary Clinton playbook of, you know, I, I'm not playing the sexism card, but she's a woman. She's, you know, the face of the party. She's the person that they vilify. So yes. they think that their constituents expect them to be against her, but she gets it done. I mean, as Barack Obama said, you know, maybe other than LBJ, she's probably the most, you know, effective. Definitely been leg- the most effective legislative leader of our lifetime. That yes. is for sure. Exactly. Well, I was, I was born during LBJ. No, you were president. not born during LBJ. <laughs> We're 1966. <laughs> well, he was president then. He wasn't a. He wasn't yeah, a. Right, he wasn't right. a. Uh, he wasn't, right. he he wasn't, wasn't a legislative leader, leader at that right, point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I read right. master of the Senate. <laughs> he was not. That's true. Right. But he was. You know. He, he was still around. But you know. I mean. This, these are good times. As long as you know, you're not troubled and staying up at night thinking about pictures of babies getting gassed I, and then thinking that they're Americans who don't think that babies getting gassed is a bad thing. That just bothers me so much. All right, Janet, I got 30 seconds yeah. left with you. This goes by goes by so fast. I know. It goes by so, fun? so fast, whatever I'm on with you. Uh, what do you want people to know? Where are you going to be? Well, I'm going to mop for a week and then uh, back on December 8th, I'm back on HLN on the weekends and... Uh, that's, you know, Jay Johnson Law on Twitter. That's what I want them to know. Well, that, Janet, you are always one of my favorite guests. And, uh, you know, when I came in, my producer says, who's your guest? And I go, Janet. He goes, he just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Janet Johnson at Jay Johnson Law, one of my favorite guests of all time. Taking your calls. Other side of the break, 631-451-1039. You're listening to The Chris Hahn Show, and I'll be right back. Like what you hear? Grow a pair. Pick up the phone and try to tell him why he's wrong. The Chris Hahn Show. All right. I'm back. I'm live. I'm taking your calls at 631-451-1039. I know it's a Wednesday night, but I'm live. What's today? What's it? 28th? 28th. November 28th. 9.35 9.35 in the p.m. or 9.36, whatever that is. By the way, when I go syndicated, the first thing I'm going to do is make them change that clock. I mean- You got a big one behind you. You look yeah, behind you. Is that one broken too? Oh, no. That well, that's one, real. That one's on time. I got the multiple clocks behind me with the various different times. But there's a clock right in front of me, a regular clock with, a, with, you know, with, with hands. And for the next five months- because of daylight savings time, that clock will be wrong. 100%. It will not be. It will not be adjusted, and it will not be right until we get to daylight savings time. One hundred percent fact. I will be looking at that clock thinking it's ten thirty-five, ten forty, uh, and yeah. it is. It is not. It is nine forty, and it freaks me out every time. I'm like, wait a minute, did I do three hours tonight instead of two? So the first thing well, I'm going to do, Mike, is I'm going to insist. 
as a newly minted national DJ <laughs> that that That'll clock be, be repaired. Are you listening to me, management? Alex, whatever <laughs> his name Alex, is, a new Alex. manager of the station, young guy, uh-huh. very aggressive, good guy, trying to do all, sending out emails. Do you want to put this guy on your show? You Great. I'm, I'm happy I haven't met him. He also figured out the Wednesday night thing for me. Good for him. We like Alex. Yes, we do. But Alex... There's a clock in the studio. Okay. <laughs> Needs to be fixed. I don't think Alex will know how to fix it because it's one of these old clocks. I'm pretty uh, sure you just wind it. I, I don't. I mean, I've been here. The clock's been here for five years. It's something, it works for like six months. Doesn't yeah, work. No, it like, literally just like doesn't work like sometimes. Like, uh, that clock has <laughs> never been adjusted for daylight savings time in five years I've been doing this <laughs> it's show. It's like two inches of like dust on top of it. It has never been adjusted. It's always been set on, da- on daylight savings time, not standard time. So it's always an hour off during standard time. Always. As far as I can remember. Well, that's weird because, you know, when we started the station, it was standard time. We did. That is true. It was December. But that so. clock might have predated the station, maybe? I don't no, know. no. Maybe it was just on this the wall. This is all brand new. So, well, not, well, it's old now, but it was all brand new. So, so maybe it was adjusted once. I would say someone adjusted it and then never Or maybe they again. put it up wrong. They're like, well, let's just leave it here at daylight. Just so we don't have to do it. <laughs> so we don't, so we don't, have, don't do have to do it in three months. <laughs> the show, this, well. Pretty much. Like, yeah, I mean, like there isn't a lot of standard time anymore. They've taken a lot of it away. Right, it used to be you turn the clocks back in October or before Halloween. Okay, and then you turn them ahead like late March. Now it's early March and after Thanksgiving, after Halloween, first first Saturday Saturday. in in November. So it's it's uh, only really, I mean, really, it's that's there's a lot more daylight savings time. And there are states like Florida and California want to do away with standard time completely and just keep it on daylight savings. We should. We should. You know, I'm I'm torn on that. I hate that it gets dark at 4:30, but I would hate having to put my kid on the bus in the dark. In the dark, right? I mean, so it it it's, it it cuts both ways because you know, I mean, that last week before they change the clock, you you wake up at like 6:30, 7 o'clock, and it's still dark out. Yes. So uh, you know, it's a it's you know it, it it cuts both ways. I get it. We have to get rid of these remnants of our farming and agrarian past. And I know that there are a lot of people who like to cling to that agrarian history and tradition. I think it's, I, I like the different changes though. You know, it does keep things like interesting throughout the, throughout the seasons, you know? Yeah. It's like a little spice of life, right? It exactly. Changes, it mixes things exactly. up. So I get it. I get it. But you know, if only, if only somebody could adjust this for me, right? So that's what I could do. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a pair of headphones. Yes, you, yeah, it's been five years. Come on, <laughs> I'm going to go buy my own. I got some cans that I wear on the on the. And, and by the way, in the industry, we call them cans. Uh, I'm going to go buy myself a $500 set of pa- headphones. Yeah, maybe not $500. It's going to be at least $250. I'm going to buy the best headphones you can get. Go for it. Big ones, you know, whatever Dr. Dre's wearing when he goes into the studio. Yeah, the Beats, they're, they're 250 bro. But do they have wires? Because I, I can never find wired headphones anywhere. I got to go to a specialty store. Just go to Best Buy. I went to Best Buy. They didn't have wires? No, I couldn't find a single set of headphones with wires. Really? They were all wireless, every single one of them. That's weird. Very weird, right? I bought those Sony. Yeah. I got the, I bought a pair of Sony's mm-hmm. that I uh, put on the, that I use on the plane. Uh-huh. They're, they're noise-canceling. 
and they were cheap. They were like 40 bucks. Yeah. Uh, but that was the only wired headphones I could find. I didn't want to have Wi-Fi headphones on the plane because then my battery goes dead and I'd be I'll pissed. I'll give you a special uh, website that we use. You'll give me the website that all the guys in the industry use? Yeah. Uh-huh. You'd think after five years, somebody <laughs> would say, you'd think after five years, the station would say, hey, Chris, you know, you do a pretty good job. Here's a set of headphones. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you'd think. I'm lucky. These hey, Merry here. Christmas, These Chris. have been here for about four years. Other than that, like, I, I bought a pair for the station and... <laughs> we'll leave it like that. There you go. Six three one four five one one zero three nine. I mean, one of the one of the remnants of our agrarian past is the United States Senate, America. And uh, one of the things of the United States Senate that I always find amusing is that the state of Wyoming, which has uh, doesn't even have enough people to have a, a congressman, it has one congressman, right? Has the same votes in the United States Senate as the state of California, which has fifty five congressmen. Or the state of New York, which has 27 congressmen. Or the state of Florida, which has 33 congressmen. Or Texas. Guys, I get the idea that you want to have a chamber 250 years ago that gave this, uh, gave these agrarian states, these small states, and back then a small state was small state by size, like Connecticut was a small state and Virginia was a large state. Connecticut dwarfs Wyoming in population. I get that you wanted to give them a vote. You wanted to make sure, you know, a reason to stick together. Man, it's been, it's been a long time now. And it just seems less democratic. I, I, I mean, I, I, it, I get it. I, if there was no other reason to stay together but political power, by all means do it. We've got to work out some sort of formula whereby larger states have more votes in the Senate. I mean, maybe for every three congressmen, you get a senator, and each state gets at least one senator. Because how is it fair that... Chuck Schumer represents 20 million people and has the same votes as somebody who represents a million people, not even a million people. And you want to talk about how the Republicans won the Senate? Well, they, they, you know, the popular vote, if you add up all the votes of all the senators, it's not even close. I mean, I get Giving the minority rights. That was what the Constitution was about. Making sure that you couldn't have uh, the tyranny of the majority. But I I think we're living under the tyranny of the minority in this country. More people voted against Donald Trump than for Donald Trump. More people voted for Democrats in the House of Representatives and in the United States Senate than Republicans. Yet Republicans control the United States Senate. And Republicans control the presidency. It's the tyranny of the minority right now in this country, and I guess you could have that last a little bit, and people not get too mad about it. But if it keeps going election after election after election after election, you're going to have an issue. People are going to say, the hell with this. We're going to have more unrest than you think. Everybody talks about, oh, these Trump people are going to get all upset, and they're going to riot. And get violent. I, I mean, I, I hope not. 
And I don't think they should. And the Trump people say, oh, the progressives are violent, violent socialists. I don't think they are that either. I don't think the Trump people are going to riot and take up arms against their, their neighbors and their kids, by the way, who are probably liberals. But I do think after a while, like states like New York and California and Texas and Florida that are the engines of our national economy are going to start feeling a little upset that states like Wyoming and Nebraska and, and Montana have the same power in the United States. Alaska have the same power in the United States Senate as they do. And if things are going the way, you know, you know, if we allocate, you know, the way we allocate Homeland Security dollars, we do it by congressional district and by Senate district and Senate states. And, and, and you get like, you know, New York losing money to Wyoming for Homeland Security. And he's like, nobody's attacking Wyoming. There's nothing to attack. There's nothing to attack. New York, California, Washington, D.C., Florida with the theme parks, Texas with major cities like Houston and Austin, Dallas. Those are places that people, you know, that are targets. The money should be going to protect the targets. Not to, you know, spread it around because, you know, some senator from Wyoming has got seniority on a committee. It's troublesome to me. It should be troublesome to you. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039. That is a leftover from our agrarian past. We had big states and small states, and they were thinking about it by size of the state, and there were less people there because the state was smaller. But let's change topics, America, to what um, I can only call uh, the dumbest, most hypocritical thing that the Trumps have done in their two years in power. And that is uh, his daughter, Ivanka Trump, using a private, by the way, web-based email to conduct government business. Now, America, I, uh, I recall an election like two years ago where... It was all about her emails, all about Hillary Clinton's emails, her use of a private server, which, by the way, was far more secure than anything Ivanka could have been using on the web. She was using a publicly available email. Now, she had a separate domain name, but it was not a separate server. She was like on Google server or Yahoo server or AOL or whatever she was using. To conduct private, to conduct America's public business. Now, she says it's different. I didn't do anything that was classified. I've turned over all my emails. Have you? How do I know that you've turned over all your emails until I see your devices? Until I see the server where those emails were kept? Do I see what you may or may not have deleted? How do I know that? I'm supposed to just trust you? It's different, they say. It's different. It's different. It's not different. It's the same. And it is 
I mean, ridiculously stupid. I mean, it's one or two things, or maybe three things. I'll, I'll add a third thing. If you want to get in on this conversation, I've got a few more minutes left to take your calls. 631-451-1039. 631-451-1039. You can tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn as well. But it's either one of three things. Either it is arrogant. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is convenient for me. I'm going to do it this way. I don't care that the campaign was uh, all about Hillary's emails. I don't care. So it's arrogant and hypocritical. Completely stupid. Moronically stupid. Moronically stupid. To the point of like, you know, like everybody who said she's the smart one in the family has to rethink themselves because it's the dumbest thing that, I mean, it is dumb no matter what it is. It's dumb, right? It's the dumbest thing she could have done. Her dad spent two years yelling about Hillary Clinton using a private email server, and then she does the same exact thing. Even worse. So it's like ridiculously stupid. Or the third thing, and here's where it gets interesting. This is why I'm on the radio and you're not. Maybe she's trying to sabotage her dad. I mean, is it possible that Ivanka just thinks that it's wrong for her dad to be president, that he's a horrible person and a horrible president. And he left his, he left her mother and he, you know, treated her like an object and uh, has embarrassed the family and brought all the dirty laundry out. And maybe her brother's going to go to prison as a result of his presidency and all of this stuff on and on and on and on and on. And maybe Ivanka said, here's how I'll get back at my dad I'll use a private email server to conduct national business. Now, America, maybe I'm grasping at straws. Maybe I'm giving Ivanka more credit than she deserves. But wouldn't it be funny? I mean, wouldn't it be hilarious if that's why she's using an email server? Like, wouldn't it be a funny thing? I mean, think about this for a minute. Think about it. The president of the United States, still at his rallies, even after we discovered Ivanka and the emails, still leads his, uh, his followers in a chant of lock her up. And what they are trying to lock her up about is violating national security by using a private email server, which, you know, admittedly, she shouldn't have done. Wasn't the crime of the century, but she shouldn't have done it. For, for years, four years now, the president of the United States has done this. Lock her up. Oh, she violated national security protocol. Lock her up. And now Ivanka, sweet, sweet, innocent Ivanka, is doing the same exact thing. Is she arrogant? Arrogant and hypocritical? Beyond the pale, arrogant? Is she a moron, a total, absolute moron? Or is she secretly mad at her dad? Is this some sort of Shakespearean drama? I don't know what they call an Oedipus complex when you're a daughter 
when the father is into the daughter. I don't know what they call that other than sick. Um, I mean, it is, <laughs> it would be funny. I mean, I don't know how I prove this. I don't know how anybody could prove this. But I do know that I spent a lot of time listening to crowds yell, lock her up about Hillary Clinton, about her email. I, I, I do recall seeing the New York Times and uh, Chuck Todd on MSNBC and other places breathlessly covering the coverage, giving credibility to the conservative movement across this country, saying that because Hillary Clinton violated this minor rule in the national security world a little bit, she shouldn't be trusted with the presidency. And now, after all that, years of saying that, I mean, years of saying that, the president's daughter, who works in the White House, which in and of itself is crazy, um, is violating that same rule. I mean, am I the only one who thinks that she could be doing this just to get at her dad? I'm not saying I choose number three as the definite answer, but I definitely give it a 33% chance. I think it's as likely as the other two reasons. And maybe it's a combination of all three. But maybe, just maybe, maybe there is, I mean, maybe I hold out too much hope for Ivanka because I always liked her on The Apprentice. She was my favorite character on The Apprentice, Mike. That's the problem. Maybe I hold out too much hope for her. But man, wouldn't it be, it would be something if like five, and we won't find out until she writes her tell-all book five years from now when she gets out of prison. Um, We won't find out until she writes her book. And when she writes that book, if she says, if she says that, you know, somewhere in her mind, she was thinking that this is a good way to get back her dad. I want every single one of you listening to me right now to send me a dollar. Okay. We're not going to find out for five years. So that dollar, just put it in the bank right now. It'll be worth, you know, $4 by then. But if by some stretch of the imagination, that is the answer that Ivanka Trump just wants to get back at her dad. And that's why she's doing this. Uh, I'm the only one saying it. I'm the only one in America, the only national pundit that is suggesting that Ivanka Trump has done this to get back at her daddy for something. Or maybe she just doesn't think he's fit for office because God knows we all don't. Even the people chanting at his rally think, ah, he probably wouldn't be my first choice, but he's the guy now. All right. I think we've all had enough of me. (laughs) I want to thank you all for listening. And I want to remind you all to seek the truth. Question everything. Question everyone, America, even me. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look hard enough for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening, America. Wish our weekdays away, spend our weekends in bed. We drink ourselves stupid and work ourselves dead and all just because that's what mom and dad said we should do. We should run through the forests, we should swim in the streams.
sing, we should laugh, we should cry, we should love, we should dream, we should stare at the stars and not just at screens. Chris Hahn Show podcast is recorded live at 103.9 FM in New York at Long Island News Radio. This podcast was sent to Face Off Unlimited headquarters in Astoria, Queens, and was edited by Joe Tex. Executive producers are Joe Tex, Jay Painter, and Eric Robinson. FOU Studios is a property of Face Off Unlimited, LLC. I'm Peter Hargarden, the senior producer of podcasts here, and on behalf of everyone who worked on the show, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to catch all of our other podcasts here on the FOU Studios Podcast Network. To learn more about Chris and to find out about his upcoming television appearances, follow him on Twitter at Christopher Hahn and at ChristopherHahn.com. To learn more about FOU, connect with us via social media at FOU Studios and visit us at FOUStudios.com.